Hey, how's everybody doing today? Hotel. Hey, this is Michael M. Hotel, founder of the African History Network, host of the African History Network show. Hope everybody's doing well. It is uh, Tuesday, February 6, 2018, and we are live. Uh, very busy day today, busy week. Uh, we know it's African American History Month. Did the two-day lecture series this past weekend here uh, hey, in Detroit. And uh, it's just been hectic, doing a lot of work. But uh, I wanted to come on and broadcast uh, this past Sunday uh, on my show. Uh, I, I, I talked about a, um, well, actually this past weekend in my presentation dealing with the history of African-American History Month. I talked about a new study that's out. Uh, just came out, uh, this article is from February 1st, 2018, from a few days ago. A new study shows that um, children, uh, school-aged children, uh, the majority of them don't know that slavery was the reason for the Civil War and slavery was central to the Civil War. And this new study uh, from the Southern Poverty Law Center shows how school children are being misinformed about slavery and how the topic is uh, oftentimes mistaught, sentimentalized, and students are alarmingly misinformed as a result of this. Okay, so uh, we're going to talk about that some. Uh, we know this is African American History Month. This is a celebration of our history. This is this was never designed to be the only time of the year we study our history. So we're going to talk about this study some and deal with some history. And then also I'll talk about the uh, uh, online course that I teach called Ancient Kemet, the Moors and the Ma'afa, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, what they didn't teach you in school. Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, what they didn't teach you in school. And it is... Um, uh, it's on demand, okay, the online course, okay? So we're going to post the information here for the broadcast, and um, I'm going to pin it. Uh, so it starts moving and share this broadcast on your own Facebook page. Invite your friends to tune in also, okay? And uh, we have the uh, information here in the description of the broadcast, and you can register for the online uh, course also, all right? Okay, so TheAtlantic.com has a really good article, and also MSN.com has an article about this topic as well. Uh, the one from The Atlantic is called What Kids Are Really Learning About Slavery, What Kids Are Really Learning About Slavery. And what this uh, confirms is what a lot of people uh, have suspected. And the side effect of this is, and this is something Dr. Carter G. Woodson talks about, who uh, created Negro History Week in 1926, and Negro History Week uh, in 1976 nationally became uh, Black History Month, and now it's African American History Month. Um, what Dr. Carter G. Woodson, who was an educator, what he understood was that uh, the he felt that African history and African American history needed to be taught in every school across the country. And he understood that uh, much of the racism, much of the bigotry, uh, a lot of the stereotypes that are uh, projected of African-Americans in the media, et cetera, this comes from people being ignorant of our history, not knowing the truth, not understanding our history, and not being taught in school, et cetera, okay? So when we look at the debates over the Confederate monuments and we see somebody like a Donald Trump or we see other people who talk about leaving the Confederate monuments up and preserving history. 
they don't understand that the Confederate monuments were not erected largely to preserve history. They were not erected right after slavery ended. The majority of them are going to be erected between 1895 and 1915 in 1955 and 1970. Basically, these are two periods of time when you have the largest amounts of the, uh, the largest spikes in the amounts of the Confederate monuments erected. And they were erected to terrorize African-Americans. Uh, they erected basically during the Jim Crow era and during the civil rights era. This is when you have the largest amount of them being erected, okay? So these were designed to terrorize African-Americans and uh, to keep us in our place as we're trying to make progress. These were constant reminders. This is why all the Confederate monuments have to come down, okay? When people don't understand your history, when it's not taught in the schools, when it's not a requirement to get a diploma, when it's not a requirement to learn a history of a certain people to get a degree, then people tacitly, sub subconsciously think the history of this people has no value because I don't need it to get this degree. If I study world history and I study different cultures, if I study American history, et cetera, it has value because I need to take this course to get this degree, all right? So if the history of a people is not required to get the diploma, to get the degree, then the people who are a product of that history tacitly, subconsciously don't have value also as well, all right? Now, please share this broadcast uh, on your Facebook page also share this broadcast on your Facebook page as well, all right? So if we look at the um, study from, if we look at the article first from uh, uh, theatlantic.com, name of that article is, what are kids really learning about slavery? A new report finds that the topic is mistaught and often sentimentalized, and students are alarmingly misinformed as a result. So this is from February 1st, 2018. And it says, a new report released by the Southern Poverty Law Center uh, so a new a new report released by the Southern Poverty Law Center's Teaching Tolerance Project points to the widespread failure widespread failure to accurately teach the hard and nuanced history of American slavery and enslaved people. Collectively, the report finds that slavery is mistaught, mischaracterized, sanitized, and sentimentalized, leaving students poorly educated. And and contemporary uh, issues of race and racism misunderstood. And one of the things they talk about in the article, we've we've heard article, we've heard stories recently of uh, African American children in class during discussions about slavery, uh, standing up in mock auctions, right? And slavery. Uh, uh, homework assignments being sent home that some people found very uh, uh, very insensitive, but. One of the things that uh, in the article says, a class of middle schoolers in Charlotte, North Carolina, okay? So North Carolina is one of those Confederate states, right? One of the uh, form, former Confederate states, a, a class of uh, middle schoolers in Charlotte, North Carolina was asked to cite four reasons why Africans made good slaves. Four reasons why Africans made good slaves. Nine, nine third grade teachers, in suburban Atlanta assigned math and word problems about slavery and beatings, okay? A high school in Los Angeles, um, in the Los Angeles area reenacted a slave ship with students lying on the dark class, classroom floor, wrist taped as staff played the role of slave ship captains. 
And for a lesson on colonial America, fifth graders at a school in northern New Jersey had to create posters advertising slave auctions. All right. So school assignments on slavery routinely draw national headlines and scorn. Yet beyond the outraged parents and school district apologies lies a complex and entrenched set of education challenges. So a new report from the Southern Poverty Law Center's um, Teaching Tolerance Project points to the widespread failure to accurately teach the hard and nuanced history of American slavery. Right. So in this study, um, this the, the study surveyed 1000 American high school seniors, 1000 American high school seniors and more than 1700 uh, social studies teachers across the country. All right. And this study is described as uh, the first analysis of its kind. OK, this was an online survey. So the group also reviewed 10 commonly used history, uh, U.S. history textbooks, 10 commonly used U.S. history textbooks and examined 15 sets of state standards to assess what students know, what educators teach what publishers include in these textbooks and what standards require or what standards uh, are required vis-a-vis -vis slavery. Okay. So among 12th graders, only 8% could identify slavery as the cause of the Civil War. Among 12th graders, seniors who are going to graduate and go to college, some of them go to college, some go to the military, some go to a trade, what have you. Among 12th graders, only 8% of 12th graders could identify slavery as the cause of the Civil War. Fewer than one third or 32% correctly named the 13th Amendment as the formal end of US slavery with a slightly higher share of 35% choosing the Emancipation Proclamation. So the Emancipation Proclamation did not uh, free the slaves. And it did not apply to all of the territories in the U.S. where slavery uh, existed. Yeah, you can go to loc.gov, which is the Library of Congress's website, and it tells you, um, and you can search for the Emancipation Proclamation and read it there. It, it basically tells you that uh, slaves in the states of rebellion were free in those Confederate states, right, that belonged to the Confederate States of America. They were free, but slaves in the states uh, in like the border states like Delaware, okay, the slaves in the border states, they were still slaves. So that's not, that's not what freedom, it was a military measure and it was designed to um, bring the South back into the Union, okay? The, the Civil War was fought over slavery, but the Civil War was not fought to end slavery. The Civil War was fought, the South succeeds from the Union uh, because Abraham Lincoln is elected president uh, November 6, uh, 1860. And December 20th, 1860, the following month, South Carolina is the first state to succeed from the Union. They're going to be followed by uh, about six other states by February of uh, 1861. And you have the Civil War starting uh, April 12th, uh, 1861 in um, uh, South Carolina, the attack on Fort Sumter. Okay, in South Carolina. So slavery was central to the reason why the Civil War was fought. The uh, the southern states felt that Abraham Lincoln, who uh, was the 
Republican candidate for president and the Republican Party was the party of abolitionists, they felt he was going to free the slaves, even though he said he wasn't. They felt he was going to free the slaves. So they succeeded from the union, set up their own governments. And when you read their statements of succession, in their statements of succession of the various states, they state that one of the reasons why they were succeeding was because of slavery, the wealth they had tied to slavery, states' rights involving owning slaves, etc. So you have border states like Delaware, Maryland, Kentucky, and Missouri, okay? In those border states, they still had slaves, but the Emancipation Proclamation did not apply to them. Okay, so we need so we need to we need to read that and study that. Go to loc.gov, which is the Library of Congress's website. Now, thirty-five percent of twelfth uh, graders in this survey chose the Emancipation Proclamation uh, as what ended slavery, and fewer than half, or forty-six percent, identified the Middle Passage correctly as the transport of enslaved Africans across the Atlantic Ocean to North America. Okay, so what, what takes place is these people who are miseducated on slavery, and some of them are our children, these people, who, but largely white children, these people who are miseducated on slavery, they grow up to become police officers, they grow up to become uh, judges, attorneys, teachers, um, they become hiring managers for various corporations. They work in HR, okay? They become politicians, lawmakers, all right? They may even become president of the United States. And they have a poor understanding of history and the subsequent ripple effect that these historical events have. And this impacts how they see people. There was, uh, I saw stories coming out of Texas. Well, one, uh, one of the stories that went viral a couple of years ago it was an African-American mother. Uh, it was a textbook, I think it was from McGraw-Hill. McGraw and in this textbook, it referred to the enslaved Africans in this country as uh, something to the effect of uh, uh, volunteer workers or volunteer, uh, uh, volunteer immigrants or something like this, right? To totally, totally mischaracterizing what happened, okay? So this is what's taking place. So this is what this study, this is what this study shows. So when we are going, when parents have children in, in these schools and they're trying to get the curriculum changed, they're trying to get supplemental uh, material included in the curriculum. You want to be able to take the studies with you to back up what you're saying. Okay, you want to be able to take the studies with you. You can't go in with feelings and emotions. You have to go in with facts and evidence. Okay, so um, check out this article. Now, MSN, MSN.com had one also. So the name of this article, once again, this is from the Atlantic.com. What kids are really learning about slavery? What kids are really learning about slavery? This is from the Atlantic.com. This is from February 1st, 2018. This is what a way to kick off African-American History Month, right? Okay, so now MSN.com had an article about this same study. Name of the article from MSN.com, MSN.com, is uh, Students Don't Know Slavery Was a Central Cause of the Civil War, report shows. Students Don't Know Slavery Was a Central Call, Was a Central Cause of the Civil War, report show, okay? And uh, I'm going to share that information with you here in just a second. I'm going I'm to post a link 
you talked about this. How's everybody doing? Those that uh, tuned in, uh, maybe tuned in late. I know people are watching at work, etc. That's fine, not a problem. Don't get fired watching at work, but <laughs> it's cool. I understand. I'm gonna post a link here to the uh, online course that I talked about at the beginning. That's on demand. As soon as you register, you can start watching. It's called Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, What They Didn't Teach You in School. And this is a 14-hour online course that I did. Uh, we did it over about seven weeks, but you can watch it on demand. On demand. You can binge watch it if you want to, like you binge watch Scandal, or you binge watch uh, what was Spike Lee's uh, uh, She's Gotta Have It on Netflix. You can binge watch this if you want to. So uh, this deals with thousands of years of history, deals with uh, the transatlantic slave trade, also uh, events leading up to the transatlantic slave trade. And there's 20 hours of bonus content also. Okay, so we posted the link there. And it's only $40. It's all on demand. Um, it's taught by myself. And it's fairly documented also. We'll talk some more about that. Okay, so uh, the, art the article from MSN.com, in this article it says, um, but the report shows that two-thirds of high school seniors don't know that it took a constitutional amendment to formally end slavery. And fewer than one of four students can correctly identify how, provis how provisions in the U.S. Constitution gave advantages to slaveholders. Okay, so this is dealing with provisions in the U.S. Constitution giving advantages to slaveholders. This deals with the Three-Fifths Compromise of 1787, Article 1, Section 2, Clause 3 of the U.S. Constitution. And this deals with the Electoral College as well, which is created by the U.S. Constitution also. Okay, Alexander, Alexander Hamilton was one of the, one of the ones involved in creating the um, electoral college, okay? This is extremely important, right? So you have people, so see, this is this is why history is so important. And people's history and culture teaches them how to deal with the problems of the past in the present and the future to meet the needs of the community. Now, people's history and culture teaches them how to deal with the problems of the past in the present and the future to meet the needs of the community. But also uh, your history and culture uh, in a people's history and culture, this uh, teaches them how a sequence of historical events lead up to a larger event taking place. And it, it, it explains to you why things are the way they are today. So in this past, in the past presidential election, 2016 election, right, the Electoral College came into play. And, and, I mean, it, and, and it came, it, it, let me rephrase that. It came into play in a way people did not expect, meaning that, of course, the Electoral College comes into play because you have the Electoral College map. You need at least 270 Electoral College votes to become president-elect. It came into play because Hillary Clinton got three million more popular votes than Donald Trump. But a lot of people don't understand how the Electoral College works, okay? And this is laid out in the U.S. Constitution. And because of the Three-Fifths Compromise of 1787, which they talk about in the article from uh, MSN.com, they're talking about the Constitution. Because of that, it, it, was, it was trying to determine how you count the enslaved population in the slaveholding states for to determine how many seats in the U.S. House of Representatives these slaveholding states will have. So, so the U.S. House of Representatives is based upon population. This is why California has 66 electoral college votes associated with it, and, and that's tied to population, right? And they have more 
uh, members in the House of Representatives in any other state. It's tied to population. Okay, whereas Michigan, where I live, we have 16 electoral college votes. All right, it's all tied to population. So the South is saying that they want all of the enslaved Africans counted. The North is saying, well, wait a second, if you count all of them, that's going to give you a dominance in the House of Representatives, and you'll be able to push through whatever bills you want through the House of Representatives. So they're going back and forth trying to determine how do you count this enslaved population? Do we count 100%? Do we count 50%? Do we count three quarters of the population? They finally decided to count three fifths of the enslaved population. It did not say that we were three fifths of a human being. They're trying to determine how do you count that enslaved population? So if, say, hypothetically, uh, a particular state, say the state of Virginia, has 100,000 enslaved Africans, then they're, 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 they'll count 60,000 as opposed to 100,000. And representation, the number of seats in the House of Representatives, is going to be based upon population. So that 60,000 will be added to the population, to the free population in the state of Virginia. This is what the Three-Fifths Compromise was all about. Most people don't understand this. Three-Fifths Compromise of 1787 which was corrected by the 14th Amendment of 1868, by the way, okay? So you have a lot of people saying, well, we need to get rid of the Electoral College. We need to get rid of the Electoral College, right? To get rid of the Electoral College, that's an electoral process, okay? You have, that's, that that's legislation has to be drawn up. It has to pass the House of Representatives and the U.S. Senate by a two-thirds majority vote. Then it has to pass three quarters of the state legislatures by a two thirds majority vote also. So it has to pass 38 out of 50 state legislatures. So people are saying, so a lot of the people who are saying don't vote also say we need to get rid of the electoral college. Getting rid of the electoral college is an electoral process. But you have to understand history and read the constitution to understand this. So all of this deals with history. All, all this deals with history, you, the, the laws, politics, policies, all this, this all deals with history. And, and, and people not understanding how the Electoral College works and also the Russian involvement in the, the, the Russian hack and all that. But that aside, there were 16.4 million African-Americans registered to vote in 2016, only 59% voted. Donald Trump won the three battleground states of Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania by only 78,000 votes. Only 78,000 votes. Our votes were suppressed. Our votes were suppressed by Republicans and also many African-Americans were suppressing our votes also. That's another conversation. Okay, so looking at this article from MSN, this, this, this MSN.com, this ties history right into what is taking place today. Okay, Dr. Uh, John Henry Clark taught us that all history is a current event. Everything that has ever happened continues to happen in some shape, form, or fashion. All history is a current event. Everything that has ever happened continues to happen in some shape, form, or fashion. So we deal, and one of the things we deal with in the, in the, in the online course that I talked about, we deal with the African presence in this country going back at least 51,700 years. Because even though the transatlantic slave trade happened, there were millions of African people here in this land we call the United States of America, tens of thousands of years, tens of thousands of years before that, even before Native Americans came into existence. So that's one of the reasons why the course is like 14 hours and it's like a lot of bonus content. Okay, so the article goes on to say, uh, 
it quotes Jackie Katz, K-A-T-Z, who's a U.S. history teacher at uh, uh, Wesley, um, uh, Wesley High School in Massachusetts. And uh, she says, a lot of our students don't even understand the role of the North in slavery and how it benefited from slavery. When they learn about the Civil War, they like to think that we in the North are the good guys, are the good guys. Massachusetts was the first state to abolish slavery. But then they hear about uh, Low, uh, Lowell, Lowell Mills, Lowell, Lowell Mills, uh, L-O-W-E-L-L, Lowell Mills. And they think, wait a second, where, where, uh, where, were, uh, where were we getting that content? Where were we getting that cotton? Because a lot of the cotton mills were in the north and the, uh, a lot of the cotton plantations were in the south. Okay, so the survey which was conducted over the course of one year by the center's uh, teaching tolerance project from the uh, Southern Poverty Law Center also found that teachers, textbooks, and state academic standards are not helping the situation. While teachers overwhelmingly responded that they feel comfortable discussing slavery in the classroom. The report found that nearly half think their textbooks are inadequate and 40% believe their state offers insufficient support for teaching about slavery. Um, let's see, it goes on to say, uh, they quoted another teacher here, I think this is, it's hard to discuss violence and teach white supremacy. It's hard to learn about the shortcomings of our American icons and heroes. It's hard to wrap our minds around the fact that something so vile undergirds our history. So we have tended to shy away, okay? Now, uh, that person's last name is Jeffrey. Oh, uh, Hassan Kwame Jeffries, associate professor at uh, Ohio State University. I wonder if he's related to Dr. Leonard Jeffries. Dr. Leonard Jeffries is one of my teachers. I know, uh, um, Representative uh, Jeffries with the CBC is uh, his nephew. I forgot uh, Jeffries' first name. But uh, he goes on to say, it's important that everyone understand that slavery is truly at the foundation and formation of this nation. You really can't understand the American past or present without having a good, a good grasp on the role that slavery played in this country. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so um, so the article uh, further down goes on to say, popular textbooks, the survey shows, fail to provide comprehensive uh, coverage of slavery. Of the 10 most widely used text textbooks, researchers at the Southern Poverty Law Center found only one that scored a 70% against a, a rubric of what they consider should be included in the study of slavery, but the average score was 46%. So the textbooks are, are, um, are largely inaccurate and don't have the proper information also, okay? So uh, it goes on to say, uh, students can't possibly grasp the gravity of the civil rights movement or the genesis of the Black Lives Matter movement without being grounded in the history of slavery. So this, the, that foundation, that not understanding that foundation throws things off today and this deals with, right, also 
harmful legislation that is being passed that attacks us because largely is being passed by people who have a poor understanding of history and operate based upon a lot of negative stereotypes fed to them in the media of African-Americans and of other groups. You just look at the debate now over immigration. Trump is trying to use MS-13, uh, a, 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 a organized gang of undocumented immigrants that you know commit crimes and murders, things like this. He's, it, it, they make up about 30,000 people in the U.S. I think it's, I think it's about 30,000 30, members of MS-13 in the U.S., right? But he's trying to make MS-13 the face of the 11 million undocumented immigrants, which is totally inaccurate. But he doesn't make, but, but more white, but more police officers are killed by white men each year than African-Americans or Black Lives Matter activists. He doesn't try to make the killers of police officers. He doesn't try to make crazy white men the face of the killers of police officers. We know that uh, uh, white men uh, who are not Muslims commit uh, more terrorist acts than Muslim extremists in this country by a margin of almost two to one. Trump is largely silent on that. So when you have this misinformation out there, when you have these lies being told, you have people who internalize, internalize this, and then you have policies, you have laws made based upon false information, okay, that have uh, very real and uh, harsh consequences and repercussions. There was a uh, study, I'm trying to see which file photo do I have that in. I think it's this one here. There was, uh, if you listen to my show, you heard me talk about the uh, study that just came out a couple months ago. I think it was January. This one right here. Washington Post had an article about this. Um, Blavity.com had an article also. Newsweek.com. New study finds news outlets promote false negative portrayals of black families that don't match reality. New study finds news outlets promote false negative portrayals of black families that don't match reality, okay? Despite government data disproving them, news outlets perpetuate stereotypes such as welfare queens and absentee fathers. This is from Blavity.com, B-L-A-V-I-T-Y, Blavity.com. And Washington Post has an article about the same study. New news media offers consistently warped portrayals of black families, study finds. But what they talk about in here is they talk about how such stereotypes fuel political rhetoric and inform public policy, such as Congress's consideration to gut social safety net programs, like they're talking about doing now after they pass this $1.5 trillion tax cut, right? That blows a hole in the budget deficit and the debt, okay? And now they're trying to figure out how to pay for it because this tax cut does not pay for itself and it takes 83% of the benefits and gives it to the top 1%. It's a redistribution of resources and wealth to the top 1%. That's what this tax cut was all about. And if you paid attention to the news, you saw that Paul Ryan, Speaker of the House of Representatives, got a campaign donation of $500,000 from the Koch brothers, Charles and David Koch, who were spending $40 million on uh, uh, ads to promote this tax cut 
because they're benefiting from it heavily, but they donated after shortly after the tax cut passed and was signed into law. Paul Ryan, Speaker of the House of Representatives, got a campaign donation of $500,000 from the Koch brothers. That was a payoff. That's what that was. That was a payoff. Okay, now, stricter work requirements, drug testing, and other welfare restrictions are likely to be supported by a public exposed to inaccurate portrayals of black families, the report said. Legislators can point to media coverage of black families in their zeal to further limit welfare programs and say it's all their fault. They just need to get their ducks in a row, okay? But th now this is the article from the Washington Post, the one from Blavity.com says something similar. It goes on to say, over so they talk about how, um, how poverty and welfare were not always stigmatized in the media as predominantly African-American issues. And they talk about the Great Depression, the 1920s and 1930s, when white men were, were down on their luck, okay? And there were programs put in place to benefit them. They were looked, it was looked at as, as that they just ran into hard times, okay? And they just needed a, a helping hand. But over time, political leaders and the media worked to pathologize black families in the American imagination to justify slavery. Jim Crow, mass incarceration, widespread economic inequity, and urban disinvestment. Once, once again, over time, however, political leaders and the media have worked to pathologize black families in the American imagination to justify slavery, justify Jim Crow, justify mass incarceration, justify widespread economic inequity and urban disinvestment, Negro removal, the uh, uh, deindustrialization of the inner city, all of this, justify the redlining system, okay, which, which was created by the Homeowners Loan Corporation in 1933 as part of the New Deal, which was a government entity, the redlining system dealing with the grading system that's uh, used, the grading system regarding risk that's used uh, to determine interest rates and whether or not a loan is going to be made or not is used by banks, is also used by the real estate industry, okay? And this also helped to create ghettos as well. This also helped to create black ghettos. There have been articles that talked about how the black ghettos came, how the black ghettos were actually created by federal government uh, programs and policies. Widespread economic inequity and urban disinvestment, as well as to gain and maintain political and social power. Okay, so check out this article. Uh, this one's from Washington, Washington Post. News media authors consistently warped portrayals of black families study finds. All right. So this all deals with history. This is, and this is, you know, African American History Month is never was never designed by Dr. Carter G. Woodson to be the only time of the year we study our history. It's designed to be a celebration. But we have to have a critical analysis of our history. We have to have events that celebrate our history and then also look forward and plan for the future as well. Okay. So how's everybody doing today? Uh, we're talking about a new study that came out from the Southern Poverty Law Center earlier this month. An article from Atlantic.com came out February 1st, 2018, uh, just a few days ago, uh, that talks about how students don't know slavery was a central cause of the Civil War. Uh, and, and this new study shows how they are being misinformed, okay, in school, all right, and what needs to take place. And this is why, number one, we have to teach the truth to our children at home. 
Okay, we have to teach the truth to our children at home. Um, and these articles here, I'll provide them with you uh, for you. This helps. The information we share here on the African History Network helps. You can also go to our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Uh, we have a recommended reading list of books at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. We have a recommended reading list of books there. Uh, we don't sell books, but I put together a recommended reading list of books because people always ask me. Uh, and then we sell DVD lectures and documentaries if you want to order those also. That helps us stay on the air. That helps us to finance what we do. Um, and then, you know, we have the online course that I talked about. Now, that's really good because that's a great value. It's called Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa. Kemet's one of the original names for Egypt, okay? Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa. Understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. We'll post the link again here. You can register for that. It's all on demand, okay? Because I recorded it back in September, I think September, October of last year. It's all on demand. It's 14 hours. As soon as you register, you can start watching. Now, if you're at work and you want to listen to something while you work, you can do that. It's only $40. And there's also 20 hours of bonus content as well, okay? So it's thoroughly documented. We deal with thousands of years of history. We deal with the African presence in this country going back at least 51,700 years. Um, we deal with a lot of information in that in that online course, okay? Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa. Understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school, okay? We'll come to some of your comments here in just a minute. We just posted the link again. Uh, the information is also on our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. You can register there. Uh, you can even watch the class on your smartphone also. You can even watch it on your smartphone. So you can watch it uh, through your browser. Uh, with, um, uh, with the iPhone, there's a Crowdcast app, okay? Um, if you, I think with the iPhone, I think there's a Crowdcast app. If you have an iPhone, uh, download the Crowdcast app for best performance. I think I think because one of them has a Crowdcast, one of those platforms is a Crowdcast app you can download, and Crowdcast is the uh, we use the stream on. But when when you sign up and everything, you'll be directed and it shows you that. Okay. Uh, you can also watch from your browser on your smartphone also you can watch from your browser google chrome tends to work uh better firefox will but google chrome uh that browser tends to work better with crowdcast so this is tied to not understanding the history of slavery not understanding the history of this country not understanding the fact that african people did not come to this land conquered and shackled and changed. We had been here for tens of thousands of years. The Khoisan have the oldest DNA on the planet. Um, this is what uh, Dr. David M. Hotep deals with in his book, The First Americans Were Africans, Documented Evidence. Let me see if I have it here. And that's a good book to, uh, this is a good book to have in your library. The First Americans Were Africans, Documented Evidence by Dr. David M. Hotep, okay? It's a good book to have in your library. He deals with thousands of years of history, um, and he deals with the African presence in South America, in uh, South America, uh, uh, North America, uh, Central America as well, okay? Now, 
the history of slavery we know is tied to the debate over the Confederate monuments, whether the Confederate monuments should be taken down or, or what have you, right? That's all tied together. What's very interesting, and history.com has an article about this. History.com is a good resource. Um, also, blackpass.org. Blackpass.org is a good resource uh, for African-American history. Blackpass.org. I just posted that link there for you. Uh, they have about 13,000 articles there. I use them a lot, blackpass.org. Um, AtlantaBlackStar.com has some good articles also, AtlantaBlackStar.com. History.com is the official website of the History Channel. They have some good articles there. So I'll read, I'll read information from African-American sources and from European sources because I want to know what they say also. So history.com has a really good article called How the US Gov How the US Got So Many Confederate Monuments. How the US Got So Many Confederate Monuments. Okay. Now at one point, uh my understanding is that there were about 1,500 Confederate monuments in the US. Okay. According to this article, there are uh roughly 700 left. There may be more, but uh there are roughly 700 left. But what's interesting is that there were 11 states in the Confederacy, right? So the, the Confederate States of America, the Confederacy existed from 1861 to 1865. There were 11 states in the Confederacy. Why do you have Confederate monuments in 31 states in this country? 31 states out of 50 have Confederate monuments. The Confederate monuments honor the states and the people who succeeded from the Union committed treason, picked up arms against the Union, and fought against the Union. Why, why are traitors being honored? You have 31 states that have Confederate monuments, but only 11 states were in the Confederacy. That makes no sense unless you understand why the Confederate monuments were actually erected. They largely were not erected to honor and preserve that history of the Confederacy. They were largely erected to terrorize African-Americans, to be symbols of terrorism for African-Americans during the Jim Crow era and the Civil Rights Movement. So in the article, it says, according to the Southern Poverty Law Center, which compiled a list of these monuments last year, um, they compiled a list of monuments in... Um, when this article come up in 2016, they compiled a list of the, uh, a list of the monuments. 2016. This article came out in 2017. Uh, these monuments spread over 31 states plus the District of Columbia. Okay, 31 states plus the District of Columbia, far exceeding the 11 Confederate states that succeeded at the outset of the Civil War. Most of these monuments did not go up immediately uh, after the war's end in 1865. During that time, commemorative markers of the Civil War tended to be memorials that mourned soldiers who died, says Mark Elliott, a history, a history professor at University of North Carolina, Greensboro. He said, quote, eventually they started to build Confederate monuments. The vast majority of them built between the 1890s and 1950s, 1890s and 1950s, which matches up exactly with the era of Jim Crow segregation. 
According to the Southern Poverty Law Center's research, the biggest spike was between 1900 and the 1920s. This is when white supremacy and racism is at its height. 1915, the movie The Birth of a Nation comes out. 19, it causes race riots in the streets. The movie rejuvenates the Ku Klux Klan. It shows the Ku Klux Klan as being the heroes of the movie. And they rise up at the end to put down a rebellion of former Union Negro soldiers because the movie takes place during slavery, the Civil War, um, slavery, Civil War, and Reconstruction. 1914, 1918 is during World War is uh, World War One. 1915 marks the first year of the Great Migration. 1915 to 1960, you got five million African Americans migrating from the South up north and out west, and they're moving into cities, and their populations are growing in the cities like Detroit, Michigan, and Gary, Indiana, Chicago, Illinois, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and racial tensions are flaring. More and more African Americans are coming in. It's putting a greater demand on housing, greater demand on schools, okay? Things like this, and racial tensions are flaring, all right? We know uh, 1908, you've got the Springfield, Illinois race riot that takes place. And this leads to the NAACP being formed in 1909, coming out of the the Niagara movement created in 1905 by Dr. W.B. Du Bois and others, which which, which was an offshoot of the Afro-American Council which was formed in 1898, which is which was an African American organization, it's like an African American civil rights organization that also had an economic empowerment component, just like the Niagara movement had an economic empowerment component. And the NAACP is largely formed an inter- integrated group of the 57 members. Only about seven were African American; the rest whites and Jews, things like this. But one of the reasons why they're formed is to fight against the lynchings that were taking place and fight for a federal anti-lynching law. So you have uh, uh, 1915, the Association for the Study of Negro Life and History is, is, is co-founded by Dr. Carter G. Whitson and four of his friends. 1916, the journal Negro History is founded by Dr. Carter G. Whitson, which is a historical journal for our historians to publish their papers, publish their works. 1920, you have the uh, uh, 1918, the World War One ends. 1919 is known as the Red Summer. These white men are coming back to the U.S. And when they left, they had jobs. When they come back as African-Americans and immigrants doing the jobs. And you have 25 major race riots that take, take place across the country. And these white men come back with skills and how to fight and how to kill and to bring back weaponry with them. You had African-Americans who fought in World War One. They come back. They know how to fight, how to kill. And they fight back. You have 25 major race riots that take place in 1919, known as the Red Summer because the streets of America were flowing with blood. The 1920s, you have the Harlem Renaissance. You have the uh, 1920s, also known as the uh, uh, the New Negro. The, you have the uh, uh, a new concept. These, these, these African-American men fought in World War One. They come back home. They say, we're not going to take this racism anymore. So you have a new concept, a new identity, the New Negro. Okay, 1910s, 1920s, you have the Universal Negro Improvement Association, Marcus Garvey, the UNIA movement as well, largest mass movement of African-Americans in the history of this country. All this is taking place in this period of time. And then you have 1921, you have uh, Dr. Carter G. Woodson, uh, he founds a uh, publishing company, Associated Publishers, Inc., to publish his books, to publish textbooks, 
for African-American schools, HBCUs, things like this. Associated Publishers, Inc., 1921. 1921, you have the attack on Black Wall Street, June 1st, 1921. There are about 10,000 whites that invade the North Tulsa, which is where African-Americans live. North Tulsa was separated from South Tulsa by a railroad track. And you're going to have about uh, hundreds of businesses uh, burn. You have uh, Red Cross said you had at least 300 African-Americans killed. Other estimates are in one, two, three thousand estimates vary. That's 1921. You go into the 19, you go into the 1920s, you go to uh, uh, 1926. Dr. Carter G. Woodson creates Negro History Week, the second week of, of, of February. Because the second week of February contains the birth dates of Abraham Lincoln and, and, and Frederick Douglass. And these are two men who were highly celebrated in the African-American community, their birthdays, there were big celebrations that African-Americans had each year in the African-American community for these two men. And Dr. Carter G. Woodson understood that African-Americans did not know their history. See, this is a book right here that most people don't even know exists about Dr. Carter G. Woodson. Carter, Carter G. Woodson, Washington, D.C., the father of black history. One of our great scholars who's not talked about a lot. Very underrated. This is by Dr. Pedro Gaglo uh, Dagbovi, PhD, who's a history professor at Michigan State University. I met him. He was doing a, um, it was an event that the uh, Association for the Study of African American Life and History was having like two years ago. And uh, he wrote this book and I bought it. It was in February 2015. Fantastic book. There are not a lot of books on Dr. Carter G. Woodson. Okay. There's a fantastic book on Dr. Woodson. So this is our history, a people's history and culture teaches them how to deal with the problems of the past in the present and the future. A people's history and culture teaches them how to deal with the problems of the past and the present and the future. Dr. Carter G. Woodson was born 1875 in Virginia, 10 years after slavery ends. He's born to two former slaves. His parents were former slaves. He gets a bachelor's degree in literature from Berea College in 1903. He gets a, another bachelor's degree from University of Chicago in 1907, a master's degree from University of Chicago in 1908, PhD from Harvard University in American history in 1912. Becomes the second African-American to get a PhD from Harvard, first African-American of African slave descent because Dr. W.B. Du Bois was born to free parents. He got his PhD in 1895. So this is, this is the type of history we come from. And, and, and this brother understood that our people were ignorant of our history. So he created a celebration in the second week of February. And then by 1976, the 50th anniversary gets officially expanded to a month. Now you had some other people, like in West Virginia, they had already expanded it to a month, going back to about the 1940s or so. College students had started doing that in the 1960s. But it gets officially expanded to a month in 1976 and called Black History Month. And a few years ago, it was renamed African, African American History Month. But not only was it designed to study the accomplishments, accomplishments and achievements of African Americans in this country, it was also designed to study our accomplishments and achievements on the continent of Africa.
It wasn't just designed to deal with 1619 to, to the present. It was also designed to study uh, history and achievements on the continent, continent of Africa. And the reason why he created and co-founded the Association for the Study of Negro Life and History, September 9th, 1915 in Chicago, is because he understood that we, we had to have an organization that scientifically studied and preserved the history and accomplishments of African-Americans and African people on the continent of Africa. And we could add to that the diaspora as well. Because he realized that that history was not documented and preserved, it would be lost forever. So these, these are the origins of it. This, people ask why we have the shortest month of the year. People say white people stole our history and they gave us one month to celebrate it. White people didn't give us anything. We created this. This comes out of self-determination, second principle of Kwanzaa, Kujichagalia, self-determination. He didn't ask permission. He said, this is what we're going to do. Now, each year, there's a theme for African-American History Month also. A lot of people don't know there's a theme. So, you know, I did a presentation Saturday at uh, Nandy's Knowledge Cafe here in Detroit. It's called um, Breaking the Chains, Why We Celebrate African-American History Month, Exposing the Myths. Okay, Breaking the Chains, Why We Celebrate African-American History Month, Exposing the Myths. And uh, you probably saw us post about it on uh, a Facebook fan page, the African History Network. And also it is um, it's on our website, africanhistorynetwork.com. I'll post the link here again. It's only $15, it's three hours. It'll totally blow you away. People came to the presentation, were blown away by it. Um, we dealt with, dispelled a lot of myths in our history. We also dealt with why this information is so important for our children to learn it as well, because there's studies that document how our children learning their history and culture helps them better academically in school, helps build their confidence, helps them to better navigate and fight against white supremacy and racism and bigotry and things like this. There's studies documenting this. But there's a theme each year. So because this is the uh, 100th year anniversary of the ending of World War One, that we were just talking about, this year's theme is uh, African Americans in time of war. And I think I have it, I thought I had the, uh, the sheet. I've got so much stuff here as you all see. You don't, you don't even see the half of all these file folders and stuff I have here. Um, and Dr. Carter G. Woodson never married, never had children. He said he was devoted to his work. He said he was married to his work. I understand how he feels. I have one daughter, but I understand how he feels or how he felt because he passed away in 1950. I understand. You don't have to explain it to me. Um, so, let's see here. Where did I put that, man? I know, you know, I had this set up here. Stuff like that gets to me because I had it here exactly. You know, I had it here. So, I, I'll pull it up. Where the hell did I put that? Oh, here it is. I knew I had it. It was with some studies I talked about. Man, I got so much stuff. I have tons of file folders, right? So the 2018 theme of African-American History Month is African-Americans in times of war. And this commemorates the centennial 100th year anniversary of the end of the First World War, World War I, 
which ended in 1918. And it explores the complex meanings and implications of this international struggle and its aftermath. The First World War, the First World War was initially termed by many as the Great War. The war to end all wars and the war to end the world uh, safe, the war to make the world safe for democracy. Those very concepts provide a broad, useful framework for focusing on the roles of African-Americans in every American war, from the American Revolutionary War era uh, to that of the present, the war against terrorism. I would throw in the war against white supremacy, even though they don't say it here. I would also throw in the war against white supremacy. Uh, now, times of war inevitably provide the framework for many stories related to African-American soldiers and sailors, veterans and civilians. This is a theme filled with paradoxes of valor and defeat, of civil rights opportunities and setbacks, of struggles abroad and at home, of artistic creativity and repression, and of catastrophic loss of life and the righteous hope for peace. The theme suggests that contemporary conditions past and present give us cause for critical pain in our studies and deliberations to consider the specific and unique issues faced by African-Americans in times of war. These issues include opportunities for advancement and repression of opportunities during wartime, the, uh, the struggle to integrate the military and experiences during segregation, apartheid, and successful integration, veterans' experiences once they return, return home, the creation of African-American veteran the, the, the creation of African-American uh, veteran of foreign war posts, cultures and aesthetics of descent, global international discourse, including uh, imp the impact and influence of the Pan-African Congress, the impact of migration and urban development, educational opportunities, healthcare development, the roles of civil rights and black liberation organizations, including the Black Power Movement and the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense, the roles of African-American businesses, women, religious institutions, and the black press. In the struggle abroad and at home, the topographies and spaces of black military struggle, resistance, and rebellion, and how black soldiers and veterans are documented and memorial, memorialized, memorialized within public and private spaces. These diverse stories reveal war's impact not only on men and women in uniform, but on the larger African-American community. So that is the theme of African-American History Month 2018. Now, most people who celebrate African-American History Month or Black History Month each year don't know there's a theme each year. And the theme coincides with, with, with what is going on in with our conditions. Now, of course, that's not the only thing we can deal with or aspect of our history. But anytime you have these 100-year anniversaries, it's commonplace to reflect back on what has happened in the past 100 years. Now, for more information, you can go to Asala dot org asala dot org and that is the uh i'll spell it for you that's the official website of the association for the study of african-american life and history which is the organization um co-founded by dr carter g woodson 
who created African American History Month. Oh, here we go. I told you, man, I got all these damn articles all over the place. Y'all just don't know. I got about, I think maybe about 3,000 printed up. Maybe not, that's another stack there. So maybe about 4,000 articles printed up. Uh, let me get the correct uh, website for you. We'll post it here. So it's a Sala. Uh, thought I had it here. Hold on. Okay. I'll pull it up. Yeah, A-S-A-L-H dot uh, org. It should be. A-S-A-L-H Associates for the study of African American life and history. Yes. Hold on, I'll give it to you. Uh, A-S-A-L-H.org, Asala.org. That's the website, okay? And you can go there. They have some resources for teachers and parents, things like this. They have the theme for this year's celebration. And uh, you can use this as a resource because you don't have to recycle the same 15 to 20 sanitized Negroes each year for African American History Month, right? You can, uh, uh, and then you can also incorporate other things, but this gives you some type of foundation and a better understanding, all right? So I, I posted the um, link here. That's for my presentation. Uh, do, do, do this here, yeah. That's for my presentation uh, that I did. Should have, uh, was it? Um, Breaking the Chains, uh, Breaking the Chains, uh, Why We Celebrate Black History Month, Exposing the Myths. Uh, so we posted a link there. Also, we have the uh, information there for the online course that I teach uh, that's on demand. So you can register for it now. It's only $40. Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa. Understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. Understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. Okay. And uh, you can watch it on demand. It's about 14 hours. Uh, you can watch it on demand. It's about 20 hours of bonus content also. So totally blow your way. There's a lot of resources, uh, a lot of articles I cite in books, things like this. So on Facebook, uh, Yitro Savain said, I just got to say, uh, brother, thank you. All right. Thanks, brother. Uh, Damon, okay, he said, uh, Yitro said power. Damon said exactly. Rob Barker said, wow, this is 100 years ago. And we're still fighting. Yeah. Well, one of the reasons why we're still fighting is because we don't understand what happened the previous 100 years. If you don't understand what happened the previous 100 years, you definitely don't understand what happened the previous 500 years. Right. So a people's history and culture teaches them how to deal with the problems of the past in the present and the future and meet the needs of the community because things happen in cycles. So we need to understand how do we deal with white supremacy and racism in the past. Study the targeted sustained economic withdrawal study, uh, economic withdrawal programs, the target sustained boycotts that we had and redirecting dollars to our own communities and, and understand why African-Americans fought for voting rights after 1965. What, why were, if, 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 if 
voting did not matter, then why did not why didn't white people in the South want African Americans to vote? Why didn't they just let you go vote and just, just buy you some fried chicken and watermelon and just let you go vote? Why did they why why did they have literacy tests? Why did they have poll taxes? Why when when you study when you study the White Citizens Council, the White Citizens Council starts in 1954 in Mississippi. The White Citizens Council was it was uh, uh, groups of white people made up of bankers, politicians, judges, landowners, plantation owners, businessmen, and they worked to maintain the laws and the way of Jim Crow of the Jim Crow South. They got involved in politics, and if you if you were African American and you registered to vote say for instance in Mississippi, because it starts in Mississippi and it is gonna it's gonna go to all throughout all the southern states. They set up chapters of the White Citizens Council. If you register to vote, right, they find out about it, you could be fired from your job. If you are a farmer and you register to vote and you have a loan with a white bank, a white banker, he could call your loan in. You can end up losing your farm. Not because you voted, but because you registered to vote. When you study Fannie Lou Hamer, we posted an article from AtlantaBlackStar.com a couple of days ago how Fannie Lou Hamer was a victim of forced sterilization. That's the eugenics program. She was a victim of forced sterilization. This helped her to get involved in the civil rights movement. But Fannie Lou Hamer worked on the plantation along with her family. She was the youngest of like 19 to 20 children. This is Mississippi. And she registered to vote and got fired from the plantation that her family worked on. Not because she voted, but because she registered to vote. So we need to understand this history. And in Mississippi, at one point, for African-Americans to, to vote, you had to be able to explain to the registrar one of the 268 parts of the Mississippi U.S. Constitution to their satisfaction. Oftentimes, the registrar was illiterate. But you had to be able to explain to them to their satisfaction one of the 268 parts of the Mississippi U.S. Constitution. Watch Eyes on the Prize because they talk about that in Eyes on the Prize. So the reason why many of us act the way we do is because we don't understand our history and understand what happened to us and understand what we went through to get to this point. Uh, let's look at uh, some more of your comments quickly. So Angela Flood Williams, Pamela, we are aware need to go to our inner city recreation centers. We need to be in our communities doing the work. Unfortunately, most of us are shackled to our jobs. Reggie Jenkins said, Pamela, check Freedom Home Academy by Brother Marcus Klein. I know Marcus Klein. I've interviewed Marcus Klein before. Uh, Pamela said, we need black schools. Uh, one, teach the truth. Two, protect our kids from prison. Uh, model three, model and expect excellence. Four, offer trade courses. Um, she asked me, can I orchestrate that for us? My hands are full as it is. I have a one-year-old daughter. My hands are full as it is. Now, if people want me to speak at their schools and things like that. People are asking me to speak at schools. I can do that. I can't start a school. I'm, I'm, my hands are full as it is. Um, now, the teaching starts in the home. So even if you send your children to a traditional school, even if you send your children to a traditional school, you can have teaching that takes place on the weekends. 
you can have teaching that takes place in the evening for an hour or every other night or something like that. But the weekend activities are extremely important. Taking them to museums, um, watching documentaries with them, engaging in various activities that build positive self-esteem, teach them about their history, teach them about their culture. Let's see here. Somebody said something. Okay, well we have do we have a troll? <laughs> uh, Moses said without Eastern Europe, this is the missing link. The story they don't tell not even white folks about their history, Eastern Europe, mainly Russia. Okay. Uh, all right. One of the studies I wanted to deal with. Okay, so we have evidence of the positive impact that our history and culture has on our children. Here, here are two studies. One just came out um, December 21st, 2017. That was the first article I saw, saw about it, just a couple of months ago. The root.com that I'm not a big fan of, but they do have some good articles. They're not, I'm not a big fan of the root. But they had, this is a good article they had here. New, stu new studies find that positive feelings about blackness improve academic performance for black girls. New studies find that positive feelings about blackness improve academic performance for black girls. And in the article, they say, believing that black is beautiful, an important mantra of self-acceptance and self-love could pay major dividends in school, a, a new study finds. So this was a study that uh, appeared in the Journal of Blacks in Higher Education. The Journal of Blacks in Higher Education is a new study uh, done by Professor Sharita Butler Barnes, Sharita Butler Barnes at Washington University in St. Louis. And this study found that young uh, African-American women with strong racial identity, strong racial identity, are more likely to be academically engaged, curious, and persistent. They're more likely to be academically engaged, pay attention in class, answer questions, things like this, they're more likely to be academically engaged, curious and persistent, African-American women with strong racial identity. So the survey looked at 733 uh, African-American middle and high school girls in three socioeconomically uh, school districts, okay, or socioeconomic school districts in the Midwest. Now the study is called Promoting Race Resilience among African-American girls, racial identity as a protective factor, okay? Promoting, um, promoting resilience among African-American girls, racial identi identity as a protective factor. And this is, uh, this is the name of the study. It was published uh, on the Childhood, on the Child Development Journal website, the Child Development Journal website, okay? And they found that um, um, they found that uh, feeling positive about being black, along with feeling supportive, along uh, along with feeling supported by schools, correlated with the girls' greater academic motivation. Okay, feeling positive about about being black, along with feeling supported by their schools. Uh, by their schools correlated with the girls' greater academic motivation. 
researchers also found that feeling good about your racial identity could act as a buffer for students in hostile or negative academic environments as well. Now, persons of color who have unhealthy racial identity beliefs, and we all know some of them, tend to perform lower in school and have more symptoms of depression. Um, Sharita Butler Barnes, the professor who did this uh, study, uh, said, we found that feeling positive about being black and feeling support and belonging at school may be especially important for African-American girls, uh, for African-American girls' classroom engagement and curiosity. Feeling connected to the school may also work together with racial identity attitudes to improve academic outcomes, all right? Check out this article from theroot.com. New studies find that positive feelings about blackness, um, new study finds that positive feelings about blackness improve academic performance for black girls, okay? All right, so we having technical difficulties here. Let me see some testing, one, two, three, testing, one, two, three. How am I sounding? Can everybody hear me? Somebody said bad network problem. Can everybody hear me? Testing, testing, testing. One, two, three. Yeah, technical difficulties. Sure. Okay, sounds good here. Sounds good here. Um, two, two, okay. Okay, you can hear me all right. All right, good. Okay, so that was one study. And what I'm going to do, how's everybody doing today? I know we have people listening from across the country. Hey, please share this broadcast on your own Facebook page. Please share this broadcast on your own Facebook page. I had not been able to broadcast on Facebook Live, like here from the office, like I normally do, because uh, my hard drive crashed on my laptop. So I got it back. Was it last week? It was last week. Or week I think it was last week week before somewhere around there but I was uh my laptop was not this laptop was not operational for about a week or so something like that I couldn't I couldn't do anything then I had to spend time reinstalling software I lost a lot of my files I got five external hard drives uh one of them is not working but it's been crazy it's been crazy so I, I spent like 260 dollars I had to get a new external hard drive get it installed get windows 10 reinstalled all this stuff man it's been crazy so um and then my old laptop that i was using just to barely do some day-to-day -day things my old laptop doesn't have a webcam on it so <laughs> but we, we have this back up and running all right all right so we got edward doing great hey, edward in hawaii okay i know they have some good uh weather in hawaii uh sharon jackson okay Sharon Jackson, I missed you all too. Angelique Williams Jackson, sounds fine. Okay, good. Yitro. All right. Um, and I'm going to post the link again here. So you can, uh, I'm going to get to this other study in just a minute. So we know this is African American History Month, and we dealt with some of the history of it, right? Um, you can, um, if you want to, register for the online course that I teach is is all on demand so you can watch it right now as soon as you register you can watch it right now it's called ancient Kemet the Moors and the Ma'afa understanding the transatlantic slave trade what they didn't teach you in school so Kemet is one of the original names of Egypt the Moors we know 
these black African people that go into Europe in uh, 711 AD, uh, 8th century through the 15th century. These are African people. They bring Europe out of the dark ages, take the teachings from uh, Africa into Europe, take the teachings from ancient Kemet, especially into Europe. And the Ma'afa is a Kiswahili term for the great disaster, talking about our, our Holocaust, all right? And uh, we deal with thousands of years of history. We deal with uh, the origins of the transatlantic slave trade, what it was, the impact, all of that. So the online course is 14 hours. It's uh, on demand. It's all on demand. And it's about 20 hours of bonus content. It's only $40. Uh, so we posted a link here. You can uh, register for it. As soon as you register, you can start watching. If you're at work right now, you can start watching and listening while you're at work. You may want to turn it down. I mean, I want some of your co-workers to hear. <laughs> but, it's, you know, there's no cursing and things like that in there. I don't, I don't do that usually. I don't do that. Okay. And then um, this past Saturday, I did uh, a lecture here in Detroit, Detroit area, breaking the chains, breaking the chains, uh, why we celebrate Black History Month. And I dealt with the origins of the celebration, dealt with dispelling myths in our history. Uh, we dealt with Dr. Carter G. Woodson and his history and the origins of the Association for the Study of Negro Life and History. Uh, we dealt with the Black John Hanson and why he was not president, because he was not. There were two John Hansons. Uh, dealt with the difference between self-esteem and racial esteem, uh, various studies that show the impact that um, teaching our history and culture have on our children and how it helps them academically. Um, deal with, I deal with the negative impact of distorted images in the media of African Americans and how they help to shape public policies and laws that impact us. I dealt with uh, who was in this country um, before, who was in this country before Native Americans existed, because African people were in this land we call the United States of America tens of thousands of years before Native Americans came into existence. And this is not, this is not a slight on Native Americans or the people who we call Native Americans, this is not a slight on them. But we have to understand history, and this is one of the problems with trying to start our history in this country with slavery. The transatlantic slave trade happened, yeah, but when you understand the chronology of history of like the last 50,000 years, you understand that we've been here for tens of thousands of years. Yes, we originally came from Africa, but just a lot longer ago than we thought. And African people circumnavigated the globe. The Khoisan have the oldest DNA on this DNA on the planet. They come from Southern Africa. This is something that Dr. David M. Hotel deals with in, in the book, The First Americans Were Africans, Documented Evidence, which is one of the books I reference in the course. You don't have to buy any books to, to be able to understand or follow along in the course, but I do reference some books, articles, things like this. But this is one of them. The First Americans Were Africans, Documented Evidence by Dr. David M. Hotel. All right, so this last study I'm going to get to and Yitro said, I don't even know how I got here, but wow. So everybody be sure to follow us on our Facebook fan page, The African History Network, The African History Network. We're broadcasting here on Facebook. This is my, I'm on my fan page, The African History Network. We have one million followers. People, thousands of people will be watching this throughout the day, this broadcast. You can follow me on my YouTube channel, Michael M. Hotep on YouTube. So if you visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, that connects you to uh, all of our platforms. You can listen to podcasts of uh, my radio shows. You can read articles that I write, all that at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. You can order DVD lectures. So mine, I have about 35 of my lectures on DVD. And all that helps to support uh, the African History Network, helps to stay on air, keep doing the research. Because this, this research, this ain't no joke. 
people don't understand it's a lot of work and i did two back i did two presentations we get one saturday one sunday and since i lost a lot of my files luckily those presentations those powerpoint presentations i had backed up on one of my hard drives but i had to go in and update the presentation which was a lot of work i think between saturday and sunday i got six hours of sleep i had like three hours of sleep each day and then last night i was up to what i got to bed like four in the morning it was four in the morning and i got up at uh eight this morning so it's been uh hectic because i was here i was doing research last night and fell asleep at my desk that's what happened <laughs> i was up late doing research and fell asleep at my desk okay so uh let's look at this last study here quickly um this is one now this is really good and, and, and see what i explain to people and parents right when you are trying to get information incorporated into your child's school and even though I'm an advocate of homeschool and I know everybody's not going to be able to homeschool primarily, if you want more information on homeschooling, right, go to Liberated Minds, uh, liberatedmindsexpo.com. Is it Liberated Minds Expo or Liberated Minds? Which one is it? Of the third weekend in July, I'm in Atlanta each year for the uh, Liberated Minds uh, Black Homeschooling Conference. Okay, and this is a um, homeschooling conference for African Americans, and all the ex a lot of the experts in uh, homeschooling African American children are there. They have content and books and their workshops and uh, everything. Okay, and I'm usually one of the presenters also. Uh, website is uh, liberatedmindsexpo.com. Liberatedmindsexpo.com should be the website. Let's see. Yeah, this should be it. Okay. And you can Google that also. Liberatedmindsexpo.com. But they have, uh, they can connect you to uh, resources for homeschooling. You can find out more about it if you want to attend the conference. Third weekend in July. Okay. Um, okay, Mark said, uh, wonderful information. I'll follow on Facebook and YouTube. Okay, cool. Thanks, Mark. Thank you. All right, so this last study I'll talk about, this was in an article from AfricanGlobe.net, January 1st, 2017. And name of this article is called black teens with racial pride do better in school black teens with racial pride do better in school okay and it talks about how uh, african-american teenagers perform better academically when their parents instill a sense of racial pride okay now this was a study this was a joint study by university of pittsburgh and harvard university harvard University of Pittsburgh and Harvard University. And in this study, it shows that when parents use racial socialization, such as talking to their children or engaging in activities that promote feelings of racial knowledge, pride, and connection, it offsets racial discrimination's potentially negative impact on students' academic development. When parents use racial socialization, taking your children to African-American History Month celebrations, taking them, to, taking them to Dr. King Day celebrations, Malcolm X celebrations, Marcus Garvey, 
taking them to Kwanzaa celebrations, African-American museums, taking them to go see the Black Panther movie. That movie's going to be off the chain. The Black Panther, because I saw an interview that Lupita Nyong'o did, who co-stars in a movie, and she said this movie, it, it, she said this movie will show something to the effect of it will show African-Americans what Africa could look like if it had never been colonized what Africa could look like if it had never been colonized. So when African-American children, when African-American parents use racial socialization, such as talking to their children about their history, culture, et cetera, or engaging in activities that promote feelings of racial knowledge, pride, and connection, it offsets racial discrimination's potentially negative impact on students' academic development, meaning that students do better in school, they have more confidence, they can better navigate with, with white supremacy and racism when they understand who they are and feel comfortable with that. So we have the documented evidence on this. So when you are um, trying to get the curriculums changed at your child's school, et cetera, you have to take in the, the studies, take in the, the educational journal articles, you can't go in with feelings and emotions. You have to go in with facts and evidence. Okay? And this, because this is one of the mistakes we make. We go in with feelings and emotions and yelling and screaming. No, you go in with, you go in with studies from, from educational journals. They ain't, they're not going to be prepared for that. Okay, Ingrid said, of course, black children do better when they are proud. White people know this, and that is why they go out of their way to make us feel bad about ourselves and our real heritage. Christine said, thank you. Uh, Yitro said, man, you don't know what you know by chance. Your efforts are much appreciated. I want the information. Okay, all right, he's gonna sign up for the class, okay. Cool, thanks. Ingrid said, they even make us think that Africa is smaller than it really is. Yeah, um, almost, 12, almost 12 million square miles. Uh, on the map, right, the map that is shown, a lot of the maps they use in the schools, Africa is much smaller in relationship to Europe and the United States, which also brings about an inferiority complex, right? If, so if they're showing the United States and Europe as being much larger than where we originate from, subconsciously, tacitly, they're saying this is more powerful, this is better, this is larger, this is stronger, okay? So these, these are all subliminal messages that we have to understand. All right, we'll go through a couple more comments and I have to get out of here. Uh, and share this broadcast on your Facebook page and invite your friends to tune in. Hopefully you all learned something today. If you need me to post the link again so you can register for the online course that I teach, it's, on, it's all on demand. So you can go at your own pace. You can start watching right now. You can binge watch it if you want to. It's 14 hours. You can watch it as much as you want to. And there's 20 hours of bonus content. It's called Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'apa, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, what they didn't teach you in school. So we deal with thousands of years of history. We deal with history leading up to the transatlantic slave trade. They spill myths about it. Uh, so there's a lot of work putting that course together also. Okay. So it's, oh, it's only $40, by the way. Okay. It's regularly $60. It's only $40. So it's something good to study during African-American History Month also. Be sure to follow our Facebook fan page, the African History Network, the African History Network. 
and uh, visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com also. It's our website, a lot of information there. And uh, if you want me to do a presentation for your group or organization, you can email me through the website as well. Yeah, the the the, the uh, online course is uh, online course is on demand. So you because you know I recorded it live. You know normally I, I, you know I was doing the, the courses live, and we have them archived. So this is the most recent one, but it's on demand. You can watch because a lot of people a lot of people cannot tune into the class live. And so um, it's good that it's on demand. You can watch it at your own pace. Uh, let me post the link again here, information. You can watch it at your own pace. If it takes you three months to get through it, that's fine. It takes you two days, that's fine. You can watch it at your own pace. You want to take notes. All right, and so we just posted it there. All right, look, guys, we got to get out of here. You can register for that. Um, We'll be on live Sunday night, 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, the African History Network show uh, on 9, 10 a.m. The Superstation. Uh, I'm on every Sunday night, 9, 9 10 a.m. The Superstation, WFDF uh, in Detroit. I'll be on WHPR TV 33 uh, this Thursday. What is that? Uh, February 8th. So we'll broadcast on Facebook Live, TV 33, um, on 8 p.m., 9 p.m. Then I have to drive, to leave Highland Park, Michigan, drive to the radio station in Southfield, Michigan, because I'll be on Charlene Mitchell's show on 9, 10 a.m., the Superstation, um, Thursday night, whatever time I get to the station, probably 9, 30 p.m. I'll be on with her from 9, 30 p.m. to 11 p.m., so it's going to be a long night. I'm already tired. <laughs> it's going to be a long night. Okay. Um, do, 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 do. All right, so we got to get out of here. Hey, remember, at the African History Network, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world because right knowledge corrects wrong behavior. What you do for yourself, what you do to yourself, and what you allow other people to do to you and get away with is based upon what you think about yourself. What you think about yourself is based upon what you have been taught about yourself. What you have been taught about yourself is based upon everything you've read, heard, and seen about yourself. So when you control the radius of a man's thoughts, you can control the circumference of his actions because the mind can't do or teach what it doesn't know. Remember, right now is correct wrong behavior. It's not over till we win. We'll talk to you next time. Peace.